Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Deuteronomy 29.29 is a very common text among those who have walked with God for some time. And I felt that tonight God wants to kindle something in somebody's spirit that is going to change your life, your ministry, your vision, your dream, and whatever you have ahead of you to fulfill your destiny. Somebody shout, Amen, that's mine. The Bible says that the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. As long as something is secret, as long as something is obscure, as long as something stays a mystery, as long as something is hidden, the Bible says it belongs to the Lord. But when and if it is revealed, the Bible says it belongs to you and your children forever. So there are things in God that your spirit can capture and change your posterity and preserve your posterity forever and establish a covenant with your household for thousands and thousands of generations until the return of Jesus Christ. There is something this evening that you can connect to and it determines how your grandchild will be, how your child will be, how your children's children will be. And if Christ is not yet back and you have a hundred generations to come out of you, there is something that God can establish in their spirit this evening by reason of what you must understand. So don't take this lightly because this is not only going to give you a job, even though it has the potential to give you that job, even though it has the potential to get that contract, that project, even though it has the potential to connect you to that marriage, it has the potential to advantage you in that ministry to open a door, a window, some sort of portal for you. But I want you to look at the few words that I'm going to speak this evening as things potent enough to affect the rest of anybody related to you by blood and spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. I believe one of the biggest deceptions of the devil has been in how he has convinced us to assume that what we think are the problems are not actually the problems because he 
intends to divert your vision from the true problem. And that's one of the biggest, greatest deceptions I have seen in the Church of Jesus Christ. By diverting our attention, our vision, from really what the problem or the challenge is and causing us to see what we're not supposed to see or to assume that one is a problem which actually is not so that we lose our sight from truly what the problem is in the first place. Because it knows if you can know the problem, you will fix it. When I was little, one of the first mathematics teachers that I met made me hate mathematics. He made me hate mathematics. And so I grew up with two problems. I looked at math as a problem that solves problems. That when I, by grace, could solve that mathematical problem, mathematics stayed a problem. Who gets what I'm saying? Because math is about solving problems, right? But they had taught me that math itself was a problem. So I had two problems to solve. The problem before me, pi r squared, the equation, and the subject math itself. And so I excelled in all these other subjects, but I had challenges in math. But as I aged once, I met a man who in very simple words, introduced mathematics to me for the first time as only a problem solver and not a problem in itself. And it was like a bulb went on. And for the first time in my life, I made 85 in mathematics. Oh my God. I fell in love with math, but it was too late. Are you following what I'm saying? So all of my years, I thought I had a problem with mathematics, but my problem was not mathematics. My problem was that he, this man, diverted my vision from where I was supposed to actually look. That's what Satan is doing to us. It's this thing called knowledge. He says we perish for a lack of knowledge. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. He diverts your eyes from where you must see and causes you to see where you shouldn't see. And then you try to fix where you shouldn't fix while you are dying where you're supposed to fix. And this text that I'm giving us this evening is one of those examples. God has, before your eyes, expressed the power and possibility in heaven, earth, and any other realm you could ever represent or understand or interpret. He has told you that to possess things, to get to the ability or potential to receive or connect to everything that God has prepared for you. He says it's by the spirit of revelation. It's not by just prayer. It's not by just fasting. All of these things are important and potent, but they are not enough if they don't take us to the end of where we must connect to everything that has. Remember, the Bible tells you God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God owes you nothing. Remember, the Bible tells you God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. Why then don't I possess what God has given me? Why does it have a belonging, yet it has been given me? 
Why does it carry my name and identity even though it is mine? Are you following what I'm saying? If you purchase the land title from somebody and then they sign the transfer documents, technically speaking, that title is yours, but it's not yet in your name. Are you following what I'm saying? It is yours, but it's not yet in your name. If anything happens with anything signed there, it could turn back to the person in whose names it is. But that doesn't mean that you have not paid its price. Legally, it's yours. Are you following what I'm saying? He has told us that the secret things belong to God. If something is not revealed to you, it is not yours. But he said, but the revealed things belong unto us and to our children. So what is the biggest frustration of the believer in connecting or coming in contact or relating or working with what God has already given them by Christ? Revelation. If something is not truly revealed in your spirit, no matter how much your mind knows, it will not manifest to belong. That's our biggest challenge. That's our biggest challenge. Moses prayed to the Lord and said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Reveal to me the manifestation of your power. That's what he meant. What did Moses really ask for? In retrospect, what was Moses asking for? He was asking for the full revelation of the person of God. I know people who go on the mountain and spend 40 days fasting. Then you find him and ask him, living stone, why are you on the mountain? And he says, I want to see the glory of God. Somebody sets aside days, seeking, praying, and they say, I want to see the glory of God. They have a picture, a mental picture in their head that perhaps as they're praying in the tent, an angel will come, and tell them two or three words and then kickstart them into changing the world. And let me tell you something. I've walked with God long enough to see that that has been the biggest infestation of familiar spirits. Men trying to consecrate themselves by God through lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Bible says these things do not proceed from the Father. And a person goes to a prayer mountain seeking God, but they are lasting because they see a glory in a certain man or a certain woman. And they think if I can spend all of these months like that person spent these months on that mountain, I would receive the anointing that that person has. So they take that time to pray, seek, fast, do everything. Many of them I have seen connect to familiar spirits because the heart is not in the right place. I always tell people lust and hunger are two different things. To be hungry for God is different from being a lasting for the anointing, a lasting for power, a lasting for glory. The difference is the revelation of God's heart in your seeking. That's why I thank God for David because David was the man by whom I learned true intimacy. My son, give me your heart. When you do, he says, let your eyes observe my ways. Let your eyes observe my ways. 
you can only see my ways if you give me your heart first give me the heart first don't ask for me to reveal my ways to you without your heart because you'll destroy Bible says he made known unto Moses his ways and his acts to the children of Israel when he related with Israel he only showed them his acts but Israel never knew his way but every time he related with Moses he knew with Moses he revealed his ways because Moses had given his heart to God not consecration every man or woman that will be used mightily in this world that will be required of you somebody said but i gave god my heart no that's not what i'm talking about idolatry is real it's real there are many things if and when we intend to relate with god giving our best as we know how sometimes we leave certain spaces for other altars and certain idols the things we are willing to compromise for god's best there's somebody who is just one job away to selling so much one proposal away to selling so much one ticket plane ticket away to selling so much a switch in citizenship from that day to receive a green card and they'll sell so much they're just something small away they don't know it they don't look it they would even swear you see when peter tells jesus he loved him he really did love him when he tells him you're going to deny me and peter says no i cannot deny you peter meant it Peter meant it. He meant it. He said, "I you saw. I mean, a man came to touch Jesus and this guy just just got the sword already. You cut a man." And then care how many were against them. He was ready to die for the man he loved. But something in his heart betrayed him. There was a place in him that was not fully consecrated and the Lord Jesus Christ would see it. I mean, you can act, you can play all you want you can you know express all you want but i see through you and peter i see that satan has desired to sift you he's always looked for you there's places in you that were not fulfilled and ministered to and every time he comes for you that's the place he looks for but i have prayed for you jesus said that your faith failed you not that regardless of any mistakes you will make you'll still call me lord because that's the most important thing so let's go back a bit when this man tells jesus i cannot betray you he actually meant it peter was a believer he was a man i mean who believed god the bible tells us when these were willing to stay in the boat because of unbelief i mean he provoked jesus and told him if it's you jesus bid me that i come and jesus tells him come and this man walked on water peter was a believer But there were places in his heart that God had not dealt with. That's why if it's anything that you should pray for in your journey of salvation, ask that God continuously reveal the true state of your heart. Because without understanding that, you will never understand consecration. 
you'll never understand consecration. And that there are degrees in consecration. And that in every stage of our growth, there is a consecration. Somebody shout, Amen. So back to what I was trying to tell us here. When Moses tells God, show me your glory, really, in truth, he's saying, I want a full revelation of who you are because that's the only way I can see the manifestation of your power on the earth. His intention was not at the manifestation of God's power, but the revelation of God's person. That came first. Like I said, there are many who want the manifestation of that power, but without the revelation of that person. It's a hard issue. So you ask yourself, why does God hide things? I used to ask the same question. Why aren't things bare? Why aren't things revealed? Why shouldn't I open the Bible and understand it immediately? Even if I'm not born again, I'm not a believer. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4, and you'll open with me in the Amplified Version. Please read with me from verses 21. There's something important I want to unlock here. Because thank God that through this portion of scripture, he revealed to me his heart. And that's what I want to show you. His heart in the things hidden. The purpose of hiding things. The Bible says, he said to them, is the lamp to be brought in to be put under a pep measure or under a bed? In other words, when I light a lamp, is the intention of any man who lights a lamp to just put it under the bed? And he continues to say, isn't it supposed to be on a lampstand and lights lit to be put on a lampstand? 22, he says, things are hidden, listen, temporarily only as a means to revelation. He's saying, I want to test your heart to see how much you want me. So I will hide this only as a means to see whether you should turn so I should reveal. Did you get it? You remember the burning bush? Moses is in the burning bush. And the Bible tells us, when he saw this bush burning, but yet not being consumed, let's begin from verses 1, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1. The Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, listen, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not being consumed. He looked like that, and he sees there's a burning fire, but it's not being consumed. Verses 3, And Moses said, listen, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. So let's imagine the bush was on my left and he's seeing a burning bush, but it's not being consumed. Imagine Moses saw this and then just walked away. The Bible says, Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt. When God saw the inquisitive heart, the next verse, 
When the Lord saw that he turned to see. When the Lord saw that he turned to see. When the Lord saw that he turned to see. Who got it? When the Lord saw that he turned to see. The Bible says, God called him out of the midst of a bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So there are things God deliberately hides and might send a few nudges just to see whether you will turn. And I know many, many who look only once because what they see does not relate or equate with what they call personal convictions which unfortunately, like I said earlier, are actually lasting because they have a wrong stand on the vision of God. A wrong stand on the vision of the person of Jesus Christ. There are people, they don't mean wrong. They just know Jesus wrong. The Bible speaks of men which insist to have seen what they actually did not see. They have a false stand on vision. The Bible says, not beholding the head. He says, let no one defraud you by acting as an umpire, declaring you unworthy and disqualifying you for the prize. Listen, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, taking his stand on visions, he claims he has seen. Taking his stand on visions, he claims he has seen. Some of those people, they are convinced they have seen visions from God. Because like I told us, in our generation, you only need to be accurate to be called true. If I can call your name and your phone number, I am true. You only need to be accurate in our generation to be true. And I've seen how many people have had familiar spirits yielded to voices from hell because somebody carried an accurate oracle, but it wasn't true. And there's a difference. It takes great maturity to tell the difference, to tell accuracy from truth. The Bible tells us these people claim to have seen. And the Bible says they are vainly puffed up by sensuous notions and inflated by unspiritual thoughts and fleshly conceit. Next line. And not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body supplied and knit together by means of its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. What is the head? Jesus. They don't hold to Jesus. They speak visions that carry no vindication of truth. They carry convictions that the word of God can't prove. Somebody says, God told me. I, at one time we were dealing with a case of a pastor who walked to his wife, I think 14, 15 years of marriage. He said, the Lord appeared to me and told me, you are not my wife. It's his conviction. What were we to do? No matter what the word says and the other principles or guiding lights that affirm whether a man had God or not. But for him, he said, I had God and you are not my wife. He left his wife for 15 years, I think, and then went with his secretary and moved on. You see what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? They claim to have seen visions. Are they lying? No, they're not lying. They have only received visions from a false light. 
And let me tell you something. One of the most deceptive lights is actually, now scripturally, the Bible tells us that Satan is transformed into an angel of light. But there's where the Bible says that if the light in thee be darkness, oh, what great darkness there is. In other words, sometimes darkness is at its best expression through some of the brightest lights. That is why Las Vegas, which they call the Sin City, is the brightest city in the sky. They say when astronauts go out of space, Las Vegas is one of the brightest cities. Yet that's where sin comes from. So why do you think that one of the darkest places on the earth actually has the biggest light from the earth? Did you get it? That's what it says. That if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, oh, how great darkness there is. In other words, sometimes the deeper the darkness, the more the expression of some sort of light. Now, if a man does not know the difference between the lights, cannot tell between the light of God and the light of Satan, because for them, everything that appears to them is light. Many of the world's religions have been formed on lights, but that's not for me today. Praise the Lord. That's for somebody to go think through, for those of you who didn't know that. But God is telling you his heart here. Let's go back to Mark chapter 4. He said, things are hidden temporarily. I'm really amplified. Things are hidden temporarily only as a means of revelation. I'm doing this only to see whether you will turn to look. And that action spiritually exists. There are people in the spirit who turn to see. And there are people in the spirit who cannot turn to see if whatever is hidden does not meet their lust. It does not connect to what they want. Because with God, it's what they want. They're not surrendered or dead yet to yield to God to what he wants. There are many people, many, many Christians who compromise only that far. And when they get to a certain point, they say, God, here I cannot go further than this. That's a person who is not fully dealt with yet. I counsel people every day. I cannot tell you how many times I have sat with a person and told them, this is the will of God concerning your life. And I showed them scripture and they said, Apostle, I agree with you, but I can't do that. Oh no, don't laugh. You might be the one. You're just trying to, to cover up so they don't suspect you. But God is raising a generation that is turning to look in their expression and appetite there are men trying to see God there has to be more I want to access it the Bible says to him that shall overcome I shall give of the hidden manner in other words there is things in God that you cannot just receive openly a certain place of consecration has to take you to a certain secret place. And the Lord, which sees you in secret, the Bible calls it, sees you in secret. I love that portion of scripture. And the Lord, which sees thee in secret, shall reward thee openly. Now, you'll, 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 
should, you manifest something without that only secret places can give. Let me tell you, there are things you just don't walk into. There are things by heaven that are designed for you to access by some order, whether you agree or you don't. So it's let him that has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the seven churches and to him that overcometh because it's a war. It's not a battle. It's not a battle. It's a war. There's some sort of application of your human spirit to yield in this contemplation, this meditation and the deaths that you have to die because no flesh can really see God and to see him the flesh has to die. Did you get it? We have to say it's flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of what? Of God. No flesh can see God and live. So in those places where we truly have to see God, the flesh has to really, really, really die. And that surrendering, that total, total, total denial of yourself to choose to really die because that's the only way you can truly live. For some, it's only a mystery. Because why? They're still in the realm of need. They're still in the realm of survival. Jesus did not come to make you make a living. Jesus came to make you live. There is a difference. He said, the thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, but I am come that they might have life. That they might have life. The Amplified say that they might have it more abundantly and enjoy it until it overfloweth. God did not come to help you make a living. He came to help you live. And there are many people who are not living. Everything they do in relationship with the God that they serve is survival instinct. And so before God, they are not children, they are servants. It's wages, not inheritance. And they cannot tell the difference. They cannot tell the difference. So when we talk about the consecrations of true inheritance, many cannot understand. When you read uh, Psalm chapter 5, huh? the chief musician there, he reveals the place of the preparation that is necessary for inheritance. The name of the musician, if you go study, you realize the representation of the preparation necessary for the inheritance that God has prepared for you. Because much as you have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is a preparation. Even to the end of ages, when you look at the end time mystery, you realize that one day we're going to have what you call a new earth and a new heaven, isn't it? But you see, many of us in whatever journey we have right now in the flesh, there is a preparation on how we will live in that earth. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout amen. God always prepares you for what he has made for you or created for you. Praise the Lord Jesus. He makes sure you are ready for what you're supposed to enter because there's a danger in entering something that by understanding, you have not been prepared. By experience, you have not been prepared. Somebody shout amen. Shout amen. So he says, for there is nothing hidden except to be revealed. 
Marumbla dega sopalikato lagadega. I have not hidden anything that I have not by purpose intended to reveal. That's what he's saying. Everything hidden is for you. But when I do this, turn and see. That's an act spiritually. It's not a physical thing. But there's a way you do it spiritually. That's the mystery of being yielded. Broken. When you say, God break me, God bend me. That's exactly what I mean. It's not just forward in piety because anybody can do that. No. It's the flexibility of your spirit enough to turn where God wants you to turn when you must see what you should see because anyway, he has prepared it for you. So he tells you these things are hidden temporarily, 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 only as a mystery revelation for there is nothing hidden except to be revealed, nor is anything temporarily kept secret except in order that it may be made known. If any man has ears to hear, let him listen and let him perceive and comprehend. Listen, perceive and comprehend. Get this in your spirit that everything hidden is hidden for somebody. Every mystery hidden in the Bible is intended to be revealed. It's not hell to say, no, I'm holding this to the end of the ages. It's not available for you. No, no access here. Every mystery hidden. The glory of a king is to search out a matter. It is to search out a matter. Did you hear the word? The glory of the king. The glory. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. To search out a matter. What is hidden by God is for you to search out. Now, how I pray, how it was that all men lived all their lives on the earth from the onset of understanding God, only yielded to search out what is hidden by God than spending countless hours praying for a job, spending countless days praying for a husband, spending countless hours praying for the promotion of their children. And all of those things are important. But what you need is the glory of God on your life that can command the things you are begging for. Somebody shout hallelujah. There's a certain place in God where you can connect, where what you thought you'd ask the glory on your life is enough to command. The Bible says that the yoke shall be broken because of the anointing. It didn't say just by the anointing, even though it is true that the anointing can break the yoke. But this is not what Isaiah 10, 27 is saying. Isaiah is not talking about the anointing deliberately directing itself to where the yoke is to break. No. The expression of that language in Isaiah 10, 27 is a place where a man continues to expand within spiritually that the yoke that was holding him starts to break because the anointing is growing. That's not a man who deliberately is directing his anointing to the sickness or the bondage or the poverty or the trouble in his house. No, that's a man who is simply building himself up in the Lord. And as he continues to build himself up in the Lord, and I've given this analogy, like when you have a child and you buy them a very nice trouser, one day your daughter puts on that same trouser and then when she bends like that, it gets torn. She did not intend to tear that trouser. But the trouser was torn because of the weight gain. The trouser was torn because of the growth. This is what he's saying. 
that the yoke shall be broken off your neck because of the anointing. It is destroyed because of the anointing. You get to a point where anything in heaven, hell, and earth can say, because of what's upon this woman, there are things we cannot allow to touch her. There are things God cannot allow to destroy him because of what's upon his life. Because of what's upon her life. That's not a man going to seek God 20 days for a job. That's a man who's going to seek God 20 days to know him. Paul says that I may know him. That I may know him. John says I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in truth. To get to a point where you go at home with all the troubles around you and when you fall prostrate before God, you're saying, God, what's hidden for me? What's available for me? What is temporarily kept secret for me to access? I have ears to hear. I have a listening heart. I'm ready to perceive and comprehend God if you're looking for somebody to reveal anything, I am here. Those are men who truly walk in the glory of God. Those are people who have tested the glory. And I'm not boasting, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I said this before God, I tested very, very high places at a very early age. I knew so much than I think I had the language for because spiritual language develops. And in this, I'm not speaking of vocabulary. In this sense, you can be gifted in vocabulary, even fervent like Apollos was, but without the full vision of the way. The Bible says that Apollos was fervent in the spirit and mighty with words but he beheld another way. And then a couple called him on the side, the Bible says, and then expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. This was a man who had a language. He could articulate so much. And when you're among the gullible, when you're among the weak, the predictable, anything can catch because all they need is anything that would balance them in the realm of reason and the scripture you're using. If whatever you can teach can be reasonably or logically articulated, for them, their spirits are balanced enough to vindicate and define that as truth. That is why I tell you the truth. If many of you met Paul as to the standard now that we have in our generation in teaching, many of you would not have followed him. Because in Corinthians 10, 10, the Bible says his letter, they say, are weighty. His letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. When Paul spoke, his speech was contemptible. He was not a man you'd understand easily. He was not a man who'd explain and you really did understand. And so because he knew that that was not his gifting, he invested himself mostly in writing because he knew the weight and power of the expression, whatever expression of the God vision on his life as was given to him, could only come out most through the letters that he wrote those churches. He was a man who could write better than he could speak. But in this order then, you cannot be the minister which writes if you're not speaking. Because you must speak. 
It's the way of whatever pattern we have designed in life. Are you following what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? When Paul spoke, he planted. Apollos could not plant where Paul was planting. If Apollos and Paul stood speaking, Apollos would speak better than Paul anything. But where Paul and Apollos was, Apollos could not plant. He didn't have a language to plant. In whatever contemptible speech Paul had, Apollos had to understand the order of the spirit and know this man can only plant and I can only water what he has planted. I can't plant where Paul is planting. That's immaturity. But I could have the language that plants. And to have the language that plants does not mean that I carry the vindication of the spirit and the true authority of the spirit to plant because I carry its language. Oh, because I lust for the language or the place of positioning of planting. That's why this thing has to die first. Because if it does not die, Gordon Lindsay told William Branham, story is given. Some of you don't know William Branham, go look him up. One of the most anointed men we ever read in history. This guy one time is preaching before a congregation and a hall of light comes on his head. Light from heaven. There's a picture actually. It's not a story. There's a picture now. You can Google it. One time he's preaching and a ring of clouds opens up before the congregation. I mean, this man was a man of mighty signs. They'll bring crippled people and they start constructing before people's eyes and the lame walk back home. And Gordon Lindsay walked to William Branham and told him, William, you were not called to teach. And William said, but I love to teach. Why? Because in that age, many of the men which were contending, if I may use that word, within the space of the kingdom in that time, in the times of William, many of them were great teachers. And William thought this is what he missed. So he said, whatever it takes, I must do whatever it takes to teach because that's what he felt he missed. He had the miraculous, but he was not good with teaching. And if you read the story, that's what led to his end. Because he sought for the office God had not ordained him for. If he had just stayed in his land, he would have done well. That's what the last does to us. And I can tell you for a fact, I've seen it. Like I said, not many here understand that difference because you live in the realm of victims and survival. I'm going to Fanero because I'm tired of poverty. I'm going to Fanero because I saw a girl. I'm going to Fanero because I need a job. I'm going to Fanero because the whole family is going anywhere and there's just nice lights. And what am I doing on Thursday? Let me just go and chill out. Let's go. I don't understand what he's saying, but I enjoy it. I also have that group. They can't stop coming because they are hungry, but they don't yet understand yet. And if you're that person, let me tell you, don't worry. You'll understand. Just keep listening. Tell God me I'm here. I might not understand what he's telling me, survival victim, but I'm here. Let's go. Are you following what I'm saying? But here he says, let any man with ears hear and let him listen and perceive and comprehend because it requires a high level of hearing, of comprehension, of listening and perceiving to understand what I'm trying to say here. The next 
cure of cancer is a revelation. The next invention in the automobile world is a revelation. The next level of ministry in the church of Jesus Christ is going to come out of men and women who are connecting to things that have been hidden from the ages. Past. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why when Paul is speaking to the mature who understand these things in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, read the Amplified Version. He says, when we are among the full-grown, spiritually mature Christians who are ripe in understanding, we impart a higher wisdom. That means when we're speaking to laymen, people who are just looking for jobs and cars and husbands and, and you know, breakthrough, we spoke differently. But when we sat among them which were mature, among the full-grown, spiritually mature Christians who are ripe in understanding, when we were among them, he says, we didn't just speak, we imparted wisdom. Because some things cannot just be only taught. They are imparted in your spirit. They are deposited in your spirit. The knowledge of the divine plan previously hidden. It is indeed not a wisdom of this present age or of this world, nor of the leaders and rulers of this age who are being brought to nothing and are doomed to pass away. Because the wisdom of this world and the present world has its end. It's brought to nothing. There's some that decimates it and it gives space for another wisdom that you know one time you were saying oh computers are the thing and then you came with this big box that you needed to carry for people to call a computer now people carry computers in their hands almost invisible one technology disrupted another now you have blockchain now you have artificial intelligence now you have augmented reality now you have the car battery people are not using fuel petrol and now we're hearing uh, hydrogen cars are coming in future and now you have gene editing and all these things are evolving before our eyes. And the people who also here don't understand what I'm saying. Because their problem is, when they were in Chikubo today, somebody stole their two bags of portion. They want that person to appear tomorrow morning at 8 to pay their what? Their bags. God help us. Somebody shout hallelujah. Verse 7. Paul says, but rather we are setting forth a wisdom of God. We are setting forth a wisdom of God, once hidden from human understanding and now revealed to us by God. That wisdom which God devised and decreed before the ages for our glorification. He said that wisdom that was once hidden, devised, decreed before the ages, for our glorification. It was revealed by God for our glorification. So like I said, everything he has revealed, the Bible says, is for your glory. If you want to see the glory of God, connect to a revelation. Some revelation. Even in what I'm teaching, some people are just hearing story, but the people right now getting things. Things are connecting in the spirit. And whatever is connecting in the spirit for you, that to the end and degree is connecting to the glory of God that will operate on your life. Somebody receive it. I feel it. I feel it. Are you listening? He says, that wisdom is revealed to us by God, which God devised and decreed before the ages for our glorification. The Bible says, none of the rulers of this age or world perceived and recognized and understood this wisdom. For if they had, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. But on the contrary, as the scripture says, what I has not seen, listen, oh, oh, but on the contrary, on the contrary meaning, for us, we understood that wisdom 
we yielded to the very Lord they were crucifying. And for us, he says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared and keeps ready for those who love him, who hold him in affectionate reverence and promptly obeying him and gratefully recognizing the benefits he has bestowed. Yet to us, the Bible says, God has unveiled and revealed them by and through his spirit. For the Holy Spirit searches diligently, exploring and examining everything, even sounding the profound and bottomless things of God, the divine counsels and things hidden, which are beyond man's scrutiny. These are things that are beyond your natural intellect. They are beyond, I was born clever. You can't figure them out because you passed mathematics. These things are revealed to you because you're in a certain place with God. And Paul is saying, we are revealing these things every day because God gave them to us. Those things that we have accessed, no eye has seen them yet. They have not entered the ears of men yet. They have not sat in the hearts of men yet. But even though we are waiting to see what eye has not seen, ear has not had, and has not entered the hearts of men, to us, he has revealed it unto us by his spirit. And that is the wisdom that qualifies us to have a place in the ministry of Jesus Christ. That is why men listen to us. Not because we went to Bible school. Not because we have books of theology behind us. Not because we have all these qualifications that the world could ever give. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to go to Bible school. I recommend it. You understand? But he's saying there's things no man can teach you. There are things you're not going to find in a textbook. There are things you're not going to find on a CD. They're not going to be on a flash disk. You're not going to Google them on the internet and bump into them. No, you are simply going to turn aside and look and God will reveal. The Bible says these things are made ready. They are available. But every time those things are revealed, the glory of God will shine on your life. The Bible says that hold fast and allow me to read this. Get ready. I think it's in Peter. At the glory that will be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be sober, he said. Prepare yourself. This is a place where you're supposed to be preparing yourself. He says, wherefore, guard up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means that is your true stance. That's your true standing when you are before God. Standing to say, God, I am sober. I'm ready. What is that? I am positioned right. Speak and reveal what must be revealed. But prepare yourself also for the grace that will shine on your life at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory he sheds on the way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who will trust and What a glory he sheds on our way. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. What a glory. This is what Peter says. Guard your loins. 
Be sober and prepare yourselves because something is going to hit you. The grace of God is going to cover you in a way. The glory of God is going to fill and saturate your being at the revelation of this Jesus Christ. What are you asking for? You don't need a joke. You need the revelation of Jesus. Who is he? You don't need a husband. You need a revelation of Jesus Christ. You don't need a car. That 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 I've just shared is the only thing that I've ever hungered for in the presence of God. And I saw this early. The revelation of Jesus Christ. To know him. 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 First John chapter 1 verses 1. Allow me to show you something. Let me give you just an example what Revelation does. Allow me to introduce you or say a few things touching the fourth dimension. The world you live in is third dimension, so it's easy to understand first, second, third dimensional concepts because you're in the third dimensional world. But allow me to touch a fourth dimensional truth. Let me just give you something the Spirit of God took me into in a small conversation and what that does, okay? In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested. We have seen it, listen, and bear witness and show you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, he said, declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. That you may be fulfilled in your spirit with joy. Why? Because of the joy that should come to your spirit at the revelation of Jesus. So he's saying, we're not talking about the joy of getting a new car and a new phone and, and, and you know, a breakthrough or a new contract. This joy, he's talking about the joy that fills a man because they've come at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, I rejoiced at your word like one which had found spoil. That joy that says, wow, I understand it. God has been revealed to me finally. I see things as I ought to see them. That's the joy. John is praying that you will be full with. But I want you to note, now, fourth dimension. I want you to note that he's talking about what was manifested concerning the word of life. That this word came to them, but it shifted or it was translated from simply coming to them obscurely. Huh? Coming to them hidden. And God unveiled it unto them. It ceased from the abstract realm and came into the realm of manifestation. They saw it, they touched it. They handled it. They looked upon it. Here John is trying to help somebody understand how 
This word you receive in raw form, Logos, by the grace of Rema, transforms to manifest in your life. He's trying to tell you the secret of manifestation. The realm of manifestation from the spiritual to the physical realm is actually fourth dimensional reality. It's not third dimensional, second dimensional, or first dimensional. It's a fourth dimensional reality. The translation of things from the spiritual realm to manifest them to the physical. Are you following what I'm saying? And you see, even when you go back to biblical numerology, biblical numerology, you see the agreement of things. You see the agreement of things. Go back again. That which was from the beginning, he says, listen, one which we have had, two which our eyes have seen, three which we have looked upon, four which our hands have handled concerning the word, the word of life. Why are they four? Why are they four? Why is it only in the realm of what they have heard, what they have seen, what they've looked upon, or their hands have handled? Because it's a fourth dimensional experience. That is not in a textbook. That's understanding. What is the meaning of number four? The Hebrew meaning of number four, because uh, words and numbers in the Hebrew language are numbered. The meaning of number four is the number of the material world, nature. The realm that can be seen, the realm that can be touched, the realm that can be smelled, the realm that can be tested. The realm where things are tangible. The realm where you can define things tangible. That's what they call the number four. So if the number four is the number of the material world, now you understand why John says that which we saw because it's, it's material, that which we have heard because it's immaterial, that which we have looked upon, that which we have touched concerning the word of life. And let me tell you something. No structure carries true perfection if it carries no bearing of interpretation in the world that can be seen. That is why even in the fulfillment of the divine plan, the Christ had to come in the flesh to be seen to be manifested, to redeem mankind. Somebody shout hallelujah. In Genesis, if you read chapter 1, from about verses 14 to 19, you realize that the material world was created on the what? Was finished on the first day. And hence all the other four things that touch the fourth dimension of the spirit or that touch the material world, the four directions of your compass, the four winds, as the Bible says even in Jeremiah, the four orders in nature, which is material, plant, animal, and human. The four states of matter like solid, liquid, gas, and plasma. In fact, I was reading uh, recently that the DNA of all living things is composed of four letters. G, C, A, and T. You have four blood types. A, B, O, and A, B. There were four Gospels. When Matthew preached about this Jesus Christ, he revealed him to us as a lion because he had to reveal him as king. When Mark revealed him, he revealed him as a servant and so he defined him as an ox. When Luke came to define him, he called him a man and so he said, behold the son of man. When John came, he defined him as an eagle and then he defined him as the son of God. Now, imagine you have four gospels and somebody says, as long as you've read Luke, yeah, that's for a survivor. That's for somebody who just wants to know the basic story about Jesus. 
But now that you know that there is no coincidence spiritually, where we, those four Gospels, should not have been full. Because those four Gospels, again, represent the true fulfillment of God's kingdom in the material world. And in representation, they reveal the person of Jesus Christ in the facets of a king, in the facets of a beast of burden as a servant, in the facets of a son of man, and in the facets as a son of God. And to understand how I relate to those things as a believer. Ah, so what does that do to me? That fulfills the revelation of Christ as I ought to know it, not just what I know because of the facet that has been revealed to me about this Jesus Christ. Can I go even deeper? <laughs> the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24, there are four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. And when I studied this portion of scripture, I realized therein is the secret or the wisdom to succeed in the material world. He said, there are four things that are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in summer, enough for them to have winter. So the question is, how do ants talk together and communicate and prepare themselves for winter? He says that the conies are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in rocks. So you must understand why in their own feeble nature, they communicate and find the right place to habitate, to protect themselves from those animals and hunt them because of their weakness. He says, the locusts have no king, yet they go forth all of them by bands. They have a certain order. They are as if they are instructed by one leader, yet there is nothing leading them, but their vibrations and language that come within and mix up and they know how to communicate. One locust in one end understands what this locust is saying, yet there is no voice leading them. And God says, there is a mystery that knows how to command all of these things to move into that direction. He says that the spider taketh hold with her hands and is in the king's palaces. And he says, these things are extremely wise. Somebody says, where's the wisdom of these things? Where's the wisdom? I don't understand the wisdom. Oh yes, you have now to turn and say, God, where's the wisdom in this? Why are they wise? Because if you don't turn, if you don't turn, you cannot understand the secret of success in the material world. That is why when he walked to a poor man, he said, look, you sluggard, learn from the ant, you sluggard. He's saying, if you want to walk out of poverty, you can study an ant and walk out of poverty. No, Proverbs 6, 6 says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider how wise and be wise. Next verse, which having no guide, overseer, or rule, the Bible says, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. And he's saying, if you only study the ant, you'll understand the principle of seed and harvest. And if you understand that, you can't be poor if you study an ant. So the issue called poverty should not even be exalted in conversations for us to sit on television stations studying 1,000 hours, 10,000 hours to understand how to be rich. He said, you just need to study an ant and you'll walk out of poverty. Now, if an ant can take you out of poverty, what would the lizard teach you? What would the coney teach you? Somebody help me. What would the locust teach you? Be sober. Be sober. Position yourself right. Guard up the loins of your mind. And be ready for the grace and glory 
that shall be revealed to you and on you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Talk to Jesus. In the secret the quiet place in the stillness you were in the secret the quiet hour wait only for you cause I want to know Oh, I want to know you. When I hear your voice, I want to know you. Oh, I want to touch you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. In the secret, speak to God. Speak to Jesus. Stillness, you were there. in this simple sentence may God give you a heart that contemplates and meditates may he give you a hunger to perceive to apprehend to connect to whatever is hidden because by purpose it was hidden to be revealed.
May God open your spiritual ears. May he star in a wisdom. May he open the eyes of your understanding. Not to miss any oracle. Heaven is releasing these days. We are living in a time where so much is being poured that many are willing to take. In fact, I see heaven pour things that they are lasting only look aside for because they have been blinded from the true treasure that God has given us by Christ. This is eternal life that we might know the one true God and his only son, Jesus. The Bible says he wills that all men be saved, comma, and that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says Jesus is coming back for a church that is without spot, no wrinkle, no any such thing. But I don't think that that consecration is only going to happen by taming our moral appetites. That consecration, I believe, is coming by a certain understanding, by the revelations that will flood our spirits to know him even as he knows us. I believe that this is a generation that is going to test, that is going to smell, that is going to touch, that is going to look upon, that is going to handle the word of life, that is going to translate things from the realm which is not seen to the realm which is seen. And out of you are going to come the greatest ministers the world has ever seen. You might not stand on the pulpit like I am, but wherever you're going to be, your star will be so, so bright, it will burn. Your influence will not be ignorable because God is going to use you to bring into the world things that have never been seen, heard, even understood, entered the hearts of men. Because even though they are not yet seen, they are already a revelation in your spirit. You carry the bottomless things of God concerning his wisdom, understanding our Savior, our King, our Redeemer. Thank you for these words. If you're sick in your body, I decree and I declare that you are healed. You're struggling in your life, in your family, in whatever you're dealing with. Let me decree that at the sound of my voice, you leave all your problems here tonight and that you're going to go back a victor testifying indeed of the God who always causes us to triumph and makes manifest the server of his knowledge by us in every place. You don't fail. You cannot fail. You cannot fail. Nothing standing in front of you will defeat you because you've already defeated it by Christ. Give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. Come on. Come on. Come on. If you're there and you say, Apostle Grace, today I want to have a relationship with that man Jesus that you were talking about. Today I want to have a love relationship with him. Because this man did not only shed his blood for you at Calvary, but he purchased your eternal salvation. And he wants to walk life with you. So if you're there and you say, today I want to have a relationship with that Jesus, repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, 
I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Today, I take you as my Lord who shed his blood for me to transform me and give me a life beyond what men can give. Today, I'm born again. Come into my heart, Jesus. Change me. Transform me. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.